Welcome to the Modern Law Library. I'm your host, the ABA Journal's Lee Rawls. And today I'm joined by one of the editors for a book that I'm excited to share with you. Stick with me through this title because it's a little bit different from many of the other books that we have featured. What we're talking about today is the brand new Military Discharge Upgrade Legal Practice Manual. And I'm here with one of its editors, Dana Montalto. Dana, thank you so much for joining us. So before anyone thinks to themselves, oh, this is a really highly technical title, introduce us to you and to why this project was so important and why we're talking about it today. Well, thank you so much for having me today, Lee, and letting me talk about this really foundational manual that will advance veterans' rights, hopefully, over the next few decades. I am an advocate for veterans. I work as a clinical instructor at the Veterans Legal Clinic at the Legal Services Center of Harvard Law School, where I represent low-income veterans who have received less than honorable discharges from their military service with a focus on serving veterans who have mental health conditions related to military sexual trauma or combat service, who have experienced discrimination on the basis of race or sexual orientation or gender identity, um, or who otherwise have received, unjustly received, a less than honorable discharge from service. And I, in doing that, also teach law students um, through the actual practice of law. And this manual really came out of the fact that there hasn't been a manual that helps guide the practice of veterans advocates before the military review boards that are able to actually change someone's character of service from less than honorable to honorable. The the last manual was published in 1982, and wonderful as it is, um, there have been a lot of changes in the law in the past few decades. And so we wanted to make something that would be practical and allow new people to come into this field and also to think about people who are already in this field, how can we advance our practice to be the best advocates that we can be for veterans? And something's pretty special is that you were able to get the author of the 1980s manual to write a bit for this manual. Uh, can you talk a little bit about David Adelstone and his kind of groundbreaking work in this specific area? We were very fortunate in creating this manual to have the blessing of the people who wrote the that initial manual um, that was published in 1982. David Adelstone was one of a number of advocates who were you know, fiercely pressing the rights of veterans around the Vietnam War era and made some really big advances in terms of law and, and veterans' rights. There is a fantastic preface that was written by David Adelstone himself talking about his own service in the military representing veterans who were being discharged over in Vietnam and what brought him to this work and um, really was a, it, it ends as a sort of a call to action for people who care about veterans' rights, sit, talking about how much there still is to do nowadays to make sure that veterans get all the support and services that they need and deserve. And you and I are talking during pro bono month, 
and in the run-up to Veterans Day. And I think that there are a lot of lawyer listeners out there who would be interested in doing some pro bono to assist veterans who are in need of legal counsel and, and you know can't afford it, but don't know where to start or feel really hesitant because you know, I'm not an attorney, but the little I do know about military law, it's a whole different universe. And it seems like it could be really intimidating to try and practice law or advocate for a client within it. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. You're absolutely right, Lee, that there are so many attorneys, um, some veterans, some non-veterans, who would be interested in serving the veterans community. There's certainly a huge need. Um, there's a huge gap in services for veterans. The thing to understand is that veterans have all the same legal needs as everyone else serving who, who lives in our society. They have housing law issues and employment law issues, but they also have certain issues that are specific to the fact that they served in the military, including in some instances this um, issue of having a less than honorable character of service. And it's true that mo most lawyers are, aren't taking a military justice or a veterans law course in law school. Most of us aren't taught that, but that doesn't mean that there aren't ways to get involved once you become an attorney to learn what you need to do um, and provide this really valuable service. And that's really where we see this manual fitting in. It's up until this point, been a field of practice that you've mostly had to learn by word of mouth, going to trainings, talking to practitioners. And that makes it really hard for new people to come into the field, even though there is such a need for representation. So yeah, so we're hoping that this manual will, will let people who feel the need to serve veterans to, to learn what they need to learn and provide the help that's needed. So let's talk about the issue of military discharge upgrades. First off, if we could go over what are the different kinds of discharges, because I think people have heard about an honorable discharge and a dishonorable discharge, but there are other things sort of in the middle. And I think that if you could help people understand what sort of is the existing spectrum and what are the consequences from falling from one level to the next? The military does have a range of discharge statuses or characters of service. Honorable is the best and dishonorable is the worst. And there are, are as you said, Lee, a range in the middle. General under honorable conditions, other than honorable and bad conduct. And there's also some separate processes like getting medically discharged or medically retired. But we, we're mostly focusing on those, you know, honorable to dishonorable characterizations. And people get, while well, the, well, the majority of veterans receive an honorable discharge, the fact is that a growing percentage of veterans over time have received something that's not a fully honorable discharge. So whereas in the World War II era, only around less than 2% of veterans received something that wasn't fully honorable, for the post 9-11 generation, about 15% of veterans receive something that is not fully honorable. And there are a range of reasons that that happens. You know, usually there is some allegation of misconduct on the part of the veteran. But what we know is that in a lot of instances, veterans are 
either experiencing mental health conditions where they then engage in some behavior that is that is deemed to be misconduct, like self-medicating with some drug. We also know that some veterans experience military sexual trauma. They are sexually assaulted or sexually harassed, and they're retaliated against with a less than honorable discharge for trying to report what happened to them. And of course, there for many decades were discriminatory policies where LGBTQ veterans were less than honorably discharged merely because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. And I really was pretty stunned to see the number cited in the book that since World War II, this this represents more than 2 million service members. And, you know, I am sure that some of those 2 million service members absolutely deserved their dishonorable discharge and did not uphold the oaths that they had taken. But 2 million, that's that's so many people and that's such a lot of need out there. And speaking of need, what can it mean to you, your family, your future, any sort of retirement to be dishonorably discharged or have a bad conduct discharge or other than honorable discharge? What can you lose? Receiving something that is a less than fully honorable discharge usually means that there is some impact on what benefits you can access after service. So for example, if you don't have a fully honorable discharge, for the most part, you can't get access to GI Bill education benefits, or you are often presumptively excluded from accessing healthcare or disability compensation from the Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, I want to be very clear, if you don't have a fully honorable discharge, there may be pathways through VA to gain access to those services. Receiving a discharge upgrade is one path, but going to VA itself may may be another path. And so I don't want to perpetuate the misperception that you need a fully honorable discharge to access VA. That's absolutely not the case. But there are lots of barriers and challenges and hurdles to overcome to gain access to those benefits, even though we know that veterans who have less than honorable discharges are at greater likelihood to experience suicidal ideation, to experience homelessness, to have mental health conditions. And so they're very much in need of these services, but often face challenges in accessing them. And then I just also want to add that for people who especially in the modern era, volunteered to serve in the military or who who joined the military in any era and felt committed to that decision. Just having something that's a less than honorable discharge is very stigmatizing and carries a lot of burden and shame on them. Um, and so there are a lot of veterans who really seek a discharge upgrade because they want to restore honor to their service because this was something that they felt very strongly about and that defined who they are. And when you and I spoke earlier, you talked about how, you know, it may be easy to think about this as mostly affecting service members since, you know, 9-11 or the you know first and second Gulf Wars. But you're sometimes dealing with people who, you know, this is this has been many decades. You're dealing with Korean War veterans or even, you know, family members of World War II era service members. So, you know, this is not just something that someone can pursue in the first five years or something like that. That's absolutely right, Lee. It's never too late to go and apply for a discharge upgrade. The 
board that you apply to, as you can read in the manual, may, may differ depending on when it was exactly you were discharged. But certainly our office and many offices have found that we are representing not only post 9-11 veterans, but veterans from all eras going back to World War II and even the survivors of veterans. And there's still a huge need for veterans from earlier eras. And, you know, for example, there are a lot of veterans from prior eras who served at a time when we didn't have the understanding that we do today of mental health. You know, it wasn't until 1980 that the psychiatric profession recognized post-traumatic stress disorder as a diagnosis. And so veterans who maybe were discharged in 1971 after they returned from Vietnam weren't able to go to the boards and say, I, I actually, the reason I was AWOL, absent without leave for a period of time, was because I was experiencing PTSD symptoms and I just, I, I had to distance myself from the military because I was, I was too traumatized at that point in time. And they didn't have the recognition to go and do that. But, but now we understand. And, and so many Vietnam veterans are now coming forward to say, I did have that diagnosis. That was what happened to me. Can I upgrade my discharge now? And very much, I think we would encourage people to to go and apply, even if it was many decades ago that they were discharged. And I have to ask, how did you get involved in this work personally, if you feel open to sharing that story? I was in law school when the Veterans Legal Services Clinic at my law school was first opened. And I learned of the incredible need for legal representation for veterans and that there are these huge, I think, legal questions and, and opportunities to advance veterans' rights. So I decided to, to sign up myself for a clinic. I'm now direct, I'm now, you know, helping lead a clinic. And, but I, I, I started off um, being a student in the clinic myself. And I just found, uh, I was so motivated by the experience of the clients and so inspired by how long so many veterans and how hard they they fight for themselves and feeling like I could bring my own legal skills to help bolster that fight. So I, I'm very privileged to do the work that I get to do. And I'm, it really is my veteran clients who inspire me to do this work every day. Well, and as you said, there is not a large body of written work on how to proceed with these military discharge upgrades. So First of all, it's got to be a relief to finally have something you can hand to your students as you're uh, working with them in the legal clinic. But talk a little bit about the labor of love and experience that went into everyone who was involved in writing and contributing to this book. What kind of a process has this been? It was a work of many years. There were a number of advocates at the at the foundation who said, why don't we have a manual like every other area of of law? <laughs> you know, you, every, every lots of places, you know, if you have a question, you can go and you can look it up in a book. And we just, we didn't have a book. Lawyers love books. We love books. Um, we love 
you know, having templates and forms and samples and not having to create everything from scratch. And that's what we have been doing. So there were a group of advocates at Swords to Plowshares and Connecticut Veterans Legal Center who really got this off the ground and said, let's make a manual. And my clinic at the Legal Services Center came on in its second year. And we were fortunate to have some grant funding from the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make some space and some time and start pulling together the chapters themselves. But it took us three years to really write all the chapters. And we were really grateful to have the support of so many in the veterans law community. There were lots of wonderful people who wrote chapters or pieces of chapters, and we had to pull all the pieces together to be what is now this I don't know, 700 page manual, but I promise 700 pages makes it sound daunting, but we tried to make it really accessible and readable and easy to use. Um, And we didn't just have lawyers in mind, but really any advocate for veterans we hope can, can use this in their practice of advancing veterans' rights. And one of the reasons I did it said in my intro, you know, this is not necessarily the same kind of book we usually feature. I am going to confess to the readers, I did not read all 700 odd pages of the manual, but I certainly flipped around and it is, I think, very well laid out, very clearly written. And I have to imagine if you're an attorney looking to use this manual, like many manuals, what you're looking for is the index to go straight to the problem that you're actually facing to have it explained to you. And, uh, you know, I I think that you guys laid it out very well. Uh, It makes a lot of sense. One thing I was really interested in, because certainly it's been in the news in the past few years, and it's very sad and upsetting, is the military sexual trauma and less than honorable discharges. Could you talk a little bit about this, this issue, this problem, some of the things that people face after experiencing sexual trauma while serving in the military uh, and some of the common routes that it can go down and ways that you can assist. Far too many service members experience sexual assault and sexual harassment in service. And we know that there can be very significant downstream consequences after having experienced a trauma like that. One thing that we have seen that happens is that service members have a mental health condition like post-traumatic stress disorder after the assault or harassment, but they are then misdiagnosed with something like a personality disorder, which the military then can use to separate something, someone with this erroneous label that impacts their ability to get the benefits that they need down the road because they have been misdiagnosed. We also see a lot of service members who either want to report what happened to them or aren't planning to report, but someone thinks they might report, and they are then retaliated against by either the people who assaulted them who may also be in positions of power over them, and they are given a less than honorable discharge because to sort of prevent them from reporting what happened to them. And we also just see a lot of veterans who are experiencing a mental health condition and because they aren't able to get the support and care that they need, they then do things like, you know, they try to escape the situations. And so then they're treated as being absent without leave or they, you know, use marijuana 
a couple times because they're unable to deal with the symptoms or their depression is so significant that they just can't get out of bed in the morning and go to morning formation. And so they're treated as being, as misbehaving when in fact what they're doing is is having a trauma response to what they experienced in service. And these all can lead to these less than honorable or stigmatizing discharges. And so we we devoted one of the chapters of this manual specifically to service members who've experienced military sexual trauma and ways to change their discharge characterization. And, and it really does try to walk through, as you said, Lee, a really practical way of advocating for veterans who've had these experiences with sample language, sample arguments that you can make, points to useful cases and precedents that you might want to bring up. And you're right that I don't expect that anyone will sit down with a cup of tea and a bookmark and go from <laughs> beginning to end. But we really do want people to use this as a reference. You know, if you if you have a veteran come to your office and say, you know, they experience military sexual trauma, they have an other than honorable discharge, you can consult this manual and say, all right, well, here are the type of arguments I might be able to make in your case. All right. Well, let's say I'm a lawyer. I'm listening to this. I say to myself, yes, this sounds like something I want to get involved with. And I have pro bono hours I want to donate, but I'm scared. What if I mess this up in such a way that somehow they're downgraded even further? What's the great news you can give to that person? Well, the great news is, is that the boards cannot downgrade anyone's discharge. They can only go, it can only get better from there. And the, and it's important to know, I mean, it, it, it can be a long road for a lot of veterans. Um, and because the military review boards often, they will not, they're very low success rates. But what we do know is that having an advocate, having especially a, a pro bono attorney can make a significant difference in a veteran's likelihood of success because you're able to pull together supporting evidence and write a legal memo that explains, you know, this is what happened and here are some arguments and really help put together a package to submit to the boards. And it's, frankly, it's not that procedurally complex. You're helping someone put together a petition that really tells their story and puts it into the language that the boards will understand within the framework of laws and regulations and guidance. It really is such a service to be able to do that. So I would really encourage people to don't don't be afraid of this area of law. It's it's not that hard. And hopefully we've made it even easier to sort of jump in by by having this manual. And it it really is just a life-changing event to help a veteran get an upgraded discharge. It really it can open so many doors and, and really give a lot of validation to their experiences. And so I if anyone is interested, really encourage you to reach out to I know there there are pro bono opportunities that the ABA may know of, um, but also there are lots of law school veterans clinics and bar associations that have military pro bono projects and veterans legal aid programs. Um, and I really have been so heartened by the response of the attorney community in my own area in Boston of when we said, oh, we have too many veterans who are coming to us seeking discharge upgrades, would you want to help? It was just an overwhelming response from the legal community in Boston. And I know that's true in lots of other communities as well. And if you're looking to do this kind of work through the ABA or 
just to access uh, some of the connections that the ABA has, I'd, I'd point you to the ABA Military and Veterans Legal Center. I'll have a link to that on our site at theabajournal.com. But also if you Google ABA Military and Veterans Legal Center, you'll find it there. You know, I have to say a few different points in the book. It just becomes really clear that the community of attorneys who do this work are a pretty tight-knit community. You know, everyone seems to have found it not through a super easy path since, like you said, this is not a course that's offered to, say, 1Ls and 2Ls in the normal law school journey. And I get the real impression that everyone just wants to be of assistance to anyone trying to do this work. That's absolutely right. It's a wonderful community of attorneys who practice veterans law. And though the manual is a, is a wonderful resource, uh, truly the way that we have been doing it for the last number of years is by talking to each other. And so people really are very generous with their time. And certainly I receive outreach from attorneys and advocates all across the country wondering whether I have seen the same legal issue that they did and how I dealt with it. And and people really are generous with their time. And we really welcome as many people as want to get involved in advocating for veterans into the field. It's There's so much work to do. And so we're always happy to have more people join us. What I've been asking most people who I've talked to over the last year and a half is also how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected their practice or the issues that have come before them or that they've seen. Uh, have you noticed any changes to the way you're doing your work, the kinds of uh, people or issues that you're being presented with? Has COVID-19 really impacted this area of law at all? In a variety of ways, COVID-19 has impacted this area of law and practice. We have seen even more significant delays in the military review board's processing of applications. So what is often been a year-long process to apply for an upgrade is now a years-long process to apply for an upgrade, made harder by the fact that many of the record centers that hold veterans' military personnel files, which are an essential component of any discharge upgrade application, have been closed. And so it's been really hard for veterans to move their discharge upgrade cases forward in the last two years. And that's been at the same time when these discharge statuses then are barring many veterans from accessing the supportive services that they might have needed to weather the storm of the pandemic. And just to get back to, again, the Military Discharge Upgrade Legal Practice Manual, that's its full name. And where can people buy this? We should definitely talk about that. I just wanted to let anyone who now is really intrigued by this no, when Dana's talking about giving you the nuts and bolts step-by-step, step, it really is step-by-step. Step. Part two is building a case, and it takes you from chapter three, which is intake and record development. Chapter four, supporting statements and working with experts. Chapter five, writing a persuasive brief. It's not just trying to illuminate the issues that you may face. It's really giving you the how-to, which I guess is the point of any manual, but it certainly struck me as someone flipping through the book. Yes. Well, if anyone would like to buy it, it is available on the ABA's website and there is a discount if you're an ABA member. Well, Dana, 
Is there anything else you would like to communicate to listeners before we end our episode? Lee, what I'd say in closing is just to reiterate that the manual really is supposed to be practical and and allow new people to come into this field and provide these critical services for veterans. And, and then also just to be a launching pad where we can think about what comes next and how is it that we make the law better for people who have served our country. And so I'm just really hopeful that people use it and find it helpful and just want to say if if people have feedback on how it could be improved, do reach out to us because we're really are looking for people's feedback about what would be most useful for them and how it is that we can best support the veterans in our community. And Dana, if someone did want to reach out directly to you, what would be the best way for them to find you or one of the other authors and contributors to the book? People can reach out to the co-editors and me. We are all listed on the Legal Services Center website, which is at legalservicescenter.org. Well, thank you to my listeners. Thank you to any of you who have served or who have been the family members of people who serve this country. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Modern Law Library. If you did, please rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcast listening service.